0: Time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover. (laughs) With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
2: Back in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is John Chuckery Show hanging out with you here on this Monday evening. 404 7410929 That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app say catch on the go. Social media at 92.9 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. This is your night. Oh, we got Day-Day producing the show here tonight. I can't remember which guy is back there behind the glass. So uh, this is your night. Look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So there were reports that came out that said that the Chicago Bears may very much be interested in trading the number one pick and trading down in the draft. So the question becomes, could the Atlanta Falcons be in the mix for the number one overall pick? In all honesty, my gut would tell me no. And and here's the thing. Even going from eight to number one, you have to give up a crap ton. A lot. And that math equation, the the point system that picks are worth and things like that... There's such a heavy price on moving up. That's why most of the time when you see a team move up in the draft, it's one spot. It's not usually seven or eight spots. It's usually just one spot, right? We've seen that multiples of times that teams will just flip their picks and things just to make sure that they get their guy or anybody else doesn't, you know, from the outside try to trade for that guy. So I, I just don't see a scenario where the Hawks will give up all of that draft capital that goes from eight to one, or the Falcons, I should say, goes from eight to one. I, I just I don't think that they will give up all that draft capital for it. You know, You're trying to build a roster right now, and you have a lot of holes and a lot of needs. And because you haven't fixed some things over the last couple of years, you fixed a few little things here and there. But because you haven't fixed the real things that make you a winning football team, then it's a situation where you really can't give away the draft capital. You can still find a great player at number eight. Wasn't Micah Parsons like the eighth or tenth pick in the draft? I know Pat Mahomes was the tenth pick of the draft. So you can try. And you can you can draft a franchise-changing player at number eight. Now, preferably, they are not wide receivers, unicorns, running backs, and those kinds of people that stand 10 yards away from the football and have a real impact on where the game is won. But you can find an outstanding player at number eight. You know, I don't think you move up to number one. But it's being floated out there, that, and obviously that, you know, with all the Falcons' needs and stuff like that, that that is a – Logical destination to, you know, get the number one pick. And I'll, I won't be surprised if we start to see mocks that have have the Falcons trading up to number one, you know, giving up four or five, you know, different draft picks throughout the draft and all that and having to move up to number one. So, but anyway, uh, I just, I don't think for the cost of it, you go up and, and get that kind of, give up that kind of draft capital. All right, so the Falcons uh, making lots of different changes. More than anything, guys moving around to different positions. Steve Jackson will be the secondary coach. Dave Huxtable will be the senior defensive assistant. Uh, Nick Perry, the assistant wide receivers coach. Sean Flaherty, the assistant O-line coach. Lanier uh, Gothy, the defensive front specialist. Patrick Kramer, the offensive assistant. Stephen King is an offensive assistant. Mario uh, Jeboreal is the special projects on defense. Matt Baker, special teams assistant. (coughs) Michael Gray, a football analyst. And Mateo Cambui is the Bill Walsh diversity fellow, which that's the thing that they started last year. More importantly, Dave Ragone, besides serving as the offensive coordinator, because he's not the play caller. So besides offensive coordinator, he will be the quarterback's coach. Now, there was a lot of people trying a conspiracy theory about, well, they haven't named a quarterback's coach because they're going to let Lamar Jackson name the quarterback's coach. We just shot all of that down. So Dave Ragone is going to be the, the quarterback's coach, and he'll be – again, he doesn't call the plays, so that's a job that he can take on as being the OC and everything like that. And, look, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Jerry Gray to be a part of the staff because he did coach Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas in the rookie years. You know, 2010 with the Seattle Seahawks. I know he's not the secondary's coach, but he's the assistant head coach slash D. Well, you would think that he will be involved with those guys, right? If he can just make Hawk a little bit better, then that will be a boost for this team. But um, I'm excited to have him. But more importantly is the announcement that Dave Ragone, and that was from Arthur Smith, by the way, that, um, that announced that. Now, one other thing, Arthur Smith, uh, as everybody's up in Indianapolis, one of the things before he got out of town was telling the falcons.com is that he's not naming any starters right now. So while the future is bright with Desmond Ritter and all this kind of stuff, quote, we are not naming any starters right now. There are a lot of things that can happen. We're very excited about Des. No different than we are about Tyler Algier and Drake London and the improvements they've made and guys who are currently on our roster. As always, all options are on the table. Anything that we can do to improve this team and help us win and to ultimately win champ that's what we're looking for, end quote. So, you know, we've seen you know, Sam Howell with the Commanders, right? Ron Rivera, is going to be quarterback one going into the season, and we'll talk about the quarterback they just got rid of in the uh, NFL squib kick, but He's going to be QB1. I, I understand that they're leaving all of their options open. It could be Stroud. Could be Lamar Jackson. Could be Justin Fields. Do those things are realistic? No, I don't think those things are realistic. And But you, you try to keep all of your options open, right? You don't try to pigeonhole yourself into, okay, we name this guy QB number one. And then you go out and make a trade for somebody. Look, I've said consistently on the show, I wouldn't mind having a veteran that could push Desmond Ritter, say um, a Taylor Heineke or um, oh god, now now my my brain just went dead. The uh, the, the guy who started for the Browns when um, um, who's the guy? A Jacoby oh, Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. He's you know a guy like that. That doesn't cost you an arm and a leg, because not Garoppolo, because I think he's just too much money. For for what? For he's gonna want to be a starter. He's gonna cost a lot of money. I don't want the Falcons spending on a guy like that, but you know, rather than a guy like that, a Jacoby Brissett, a Taylor Heineke, or somebody like that, just to push Ritter to actually have a competition at quarterback and then let the best guy win. And if that's Desmond Ritter, that's perfect. But if it isn't Desmond Ritter then you probably have to reevaluate what your long-term plan is at quarterback. And hopefully get your defensive and offensive lines and everything else together and yada, yada, yada. So hopefully it all comes together. But for now, he's not naming any kind of starting quarterback, you know, unlike some other teams did, you know, with the Sam Howell thing and all that good kind of stuff. All right, Uh, let's do a mock here. Trevor Sykema from uh, Pro Football Focus. He's got his two-round mock, and he's got some trades and everything in this thing. So he's got uh, round number one. He's got the Colts at number one, making a trade with the Bears. They grab Bryce Young out of Alabama. The Texans grab C.J. Stroud at number two. The Panthers, through a trade, go up to number three and grab Anthony Richardson. Man, I hope they do. Um, The Bears at four get Jalen Carter. Seahawks grab Will Anderson at five. Detroit – Grabs Christian Gonzalez at uh, six. The Raiders get Will Levis at seven. Then the Falcons at number eight, they take edge player Tyree Wilson. Um, So I'm good with all of that. I'd like to, I want to see how Tyree Wilson, you know, looks through this week and pro days and everything else. Uh, Quote, the Falcons have to address their lack of pass rush this offseason. Well, gee, you mean, you know, we have addressed it over the last okay. Anyway, uh, they brought in Arnold Ebb and DeAndre Malone last year, but need to add a bigger body to their edge defender group. And such players don't get much bigger than the six foot six, 275 pound Wilson. I wouldn't mind that at all. I mean, I'd like to see more of Tyree Wilson, but if, if he's on one side and Ebb Katie's on the other side, then you potentially have a really good pass rush duo that's really young and certainly not that expensive. So if you're going to dip your toe into some other positions that are going to cost a lot of money, you know, and rather than go the free agency route, because you way overspend on free agency. And by the way, remember when we didn't have money and we signed uh, Dante Fowler to that big contract? Remember, we didn't have two bucks, We didn't have two nickels to rub together. And yet they found money for a $56 million deal to be able to sign Dante Fowler. Hence the idea of Every team in the NFL can always find money when they need to. We talked about last week. The Saints cleared up sixteen and a half million dollars in, excuse me, cap space by restructuring, reorganizing contracts, and all that good kind of stuff. But if I have Wilson on one side, Cady on the other, I'm good with all that. I'm good with all that. I mean, again, you know, when I see some of these drafts that have cornerback or you know quarterback, like I said, that the only guy. The only guy that I'm, without it being a defensive interior or edge player, would be if I draft a tackle, that if he's going to replace Caleb McGarry, I draft a tackle or C.J. Stroud. Again, guys that are right up there at the line of scrimmage and either have the ball in their hand or they're right there three feet from their line of scrimmage. But I wouldn't have a problem with Wilson at, uh, at all. In the second round, by the way, too, He's got, um, where is it? He's got safety Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M. So if they draft safety, that would be three out of the last four years that they have drafted safety. You would draft this Antonio Johnson. You've drafted Richie Grant. You've drafted Jalen Hawkins. Three of the last four years, that would be a safety that they drafted. And by the way, they have B.J. Ojolari going right ahead of the Falcons. I wouldn't mind getting my hands on him. If I could get get Aziz's brother, I wouldn't mind having B.J. Ojolari. I wouldn't mind rolling the dice on him as a second-round pick. In fact, I'd be perfectly fine and okay with all of that. So... That's the two round mock for uh, all of it. All right, when we get back, we will talk to Justin Toscano. He is the Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and we'll talk some Braves baseball with him up next. Tucker in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 929 The Game, Odyssey.com app. Yeah.
3: Sports Radio 92.9
2: The Game. It is the John Chuck show live on this Monday evening from the Kia Studios as Grapefruit League action officially opened up for the Atlanta Braves and, uh, of course, a wacky ending to game number one, but action continues right along here as we get ready for Braves opener. Let's head out to the wadeford.com hotline. Let's talk to the Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Justin Toscano joins us here. We... um, uh, you can find all of his work at AJC.com. So keep up with all your Braves news and notes there. And you can follow Justin on his Twitter page at Justin C. Toscano. Justin, as always, man, appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes here uh, at the home base tonight.
3: Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, John. So, <laughs> you know, we kind of joked
2: about it. The overreaction to Sunday or Saturday's uh, result, uh, obviously, with the with the pitch count thing and all this that and the other I mean obviously guys are going to adjust and get used to the pitch clock and everything else along with it but it was a little bit eye-opening to see right out of the gate that that sort of you know for lack of a better term doomsday scenario happened right in first game right at the end of that game I mean that was kind of funny just to see all of
3: that come together yeah no of course I mean it was a little too on the nose, right? Like you talk <laughs> about the people who are cynics and the uh, the people who are ag- very against the pitch clock. They're going to be using that as fodder for for a long time here, as we you know go through in spring training. But no, I mean it was it was just too on the nose, right? Bases loaded, tie game, bottom of the ninth. Braves had scored three to tie it. Uh, full count, two outs. Um, if I didn't say that. It was pretty much the most pressure-filled, dramatic situation you could ever hope to have in a spring game, uh, and the pitch clock inserted itself uh, right in there. But I think it'll be a learning tool. Look, I mean, Cal Conley will learn from that. Everybody else in baseball will learn from that. It's going to happen. It's The way I see it. is a, it's a good thing that it happened when it did in spring. That's why they're starting it in spring training. People can kind of get adjusted to it. They can get uh, the losing tied up, address it if they need to. But overall, man, I think, I really think these three games that I've watched, Grapefruit League games, Braves games, have been really pretty entertaining uh, on the really entertaining side of the scale uh, for spring training games that I've ever watched. I mean, I, I really like the change. I think it, maybe it doesn't, you know, it doesn't speed the game up in a fake way so much as kind of puts action into a higher percentage of the time that you're there um and people don't want to watch three and a half four hour games some people are fine with them this is a nice tidy 230 um and it's been fun to watch and it really makes me you know excited to get to the regular season when we're going to have teams as aces on the hill against each other um the starting lineups out there and some good baseball be being played um i'm sure it'll run even smoother
2: Justin, one thing I'm uh, curious about is the lineup uh, that we've seen over the last couple of days. And, you know, Matt Olsen is a guy that I believe when he was first here last year, he hit a little bit of second. You know, obviously, Snitker has used Freddie in that two-hole before. But what's kind of the thinking so far early on in the spring with the idea of Harris hitting like sixth in the order, putting Olsen at second? I assume that we would just see – Harris slide into that two spot that Dansby had occupied with his speed and his power and things like that. What's been sort of the philosophy about the way the lineup has been constructed?
3: Yeah, we haven't heard specifically from uh, Brian Sticker. I haven't asked that specifically, but I think really it just could be, be, because I I agree. I think Harris profiles really well for that second spot in the lineup with the speed uh, and honestly the power uh, the ability to, you know, put the ball anywhere on the field and then kind of pressure defenses with, the you know, his legs and Acuna's legs. I think he profiles really well there, but so does Olsen. Is kind of one of those boppers. Um, and, you know, getting your best guys up there, even power guys, to um, so that second spot, getting them the most at-bats. I think that, the, you know, some of the thinking right now, honestly, could just be like, hey, um, get his two at-bats to the game quicker and, and get him out of there, you know. Uh, end his his afternoon as he's building up. That could be it, but I mean, it's worked so far. It's you know worked out the couple games he's had him there. Uh, Maddelson has looked so good so far in the spring. You can't tell a ton from spring games, but he's looked good. I think the thinking would be like, you know, yeah, like he had Freddie up there. If you can get one of your boppers, a good hitter up there, a guy who's going to give you a great professional at bat, a veteran hitter, Um, after Acuna put one in a gap, and kind of get things, you know, really rolling before you get Riley up there next, I think would be the thinking. But I honestly, it has changed his life so much where he's, you know, shown a willingness to be adaptable and adjustable that I really, really think that we could see a lot of Harris in that two hole as well.
2: Justin Toscano joining us in the wait .com hotline. He is the Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Do you feel like Ian Anderson sort of has a little bit of an advantage? I mean, we saw Bryce Elder struggle a little bit, but, you know, with Soroka having some issues with the hammy coming down, you know, to Florida, do you feel like Anderson's got a little bit of an advantage to getting that fifth starter spot
3: right now? Yeah. um, The way I maybe look into the situation is just, I think he's got a little bit of an inside track based on previous track record. Now, Ian really, really struggled last year, but the Braves know what he can do. They know what he can be. I mean, he's a guy who looked like a top of the rotation guy his first couple years in the league. Um, Last year was really the first year he failed, Um, and he's got you know maybe more motivation than ever to to get back after experiencing failure for the first time, at least in his baseball life. Um, So I think... Look, I mean, I don't think Bryce Elder's outing yesterday does a lot to ding him, per se, because guys are just building up. But I think, you know, as much as I really, really like Bryce Elder, and I think he can just flat-out pitch, I think he knows himself. I think he's got a better mindset than he did when he first came up to the majors last year. He's a sinker baller, can really, you know, a lot of times work at both sides of the zone, um, knows his stuff, knows he's not a high-velocity guy, works to his strength. I think Bryce can really pitch, but... Just with the past, I do think Ian has to have the inside track. I mean, he and Soroka seem like the most prominent names in that conversation. And then you see Soroka kind of, you know, struggle with the hammy to start spring. And yeah, I think Ian's got a little bit of that inside track where honestly, I think if Ian pitches well this spring, it's probably his to lose.
2: Justin, you know, Vaughn Grissom obviously taking over at short. And it is kind of interesting because that's been the position that he's played. The majority of his games at in the minors, but in some ways, you know, and maybe you know, perception more than truth, it just feels like that the perception is is that this is like learning a new position. When I mean, for three years he played the vast majority of the games there. How's that transition going? And you know, look, I mean, uh, it, it, can he be a 155 game guy at, at shortstop or? you you think that they maybe go with a little bit of a rotation of him and Arcia more?
3: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think honestly, I think it, you're right about now the perception almost flipping after he was, you know, a natural shortstop coming up anyways. When the Braves drafted him, they did so knowing that he may have to move off the position eventually, that he may just be an average shortstop defensively eventually. Um, but they did believe he had above-average, you know, ability there, like that he could be above-average defensively if it all went well in his development, you know, for years to come. Now he's getting that shot. I, I really think that he could be a guy who posts. I mean, it's going well for uh, Ron Washington, um, you know, who, and Alex Anthopoulos over the offseason multiple times relayed Wash's I guess, you know, praise of of Grissom and Brian Snicker has so far in camp as well and has said it went well. Um, To me, there's not a ton of, you know, we haven't seen a ton of him um, yet, but he's looked fine there this spring. You know, the couple balls he has gotten or that have come his way, um, including the first one Saturday. I don't think there's a ton of cause, you know, for concern there. Like, you know, Dansby Swanson wasn't, this version of Dansby Swanson when he first started. And then I think, uh, I really think Vaughn's a guy who could post because I think his bat probably gives you more upside if you're the Braves than RC is. But I think that, you know, we could maybe see him DH one or two games here and there. Like, I don't know if he'll be at 160, 162 games a year guy like Dansby um, just because he might not be there, you know, all the way there defensively quite yet. But if you're the Braves, I think your best case scenario is that he takes it and runs with it, and you play him there as much as you can, just because of that upside. You get him started there when you know he's under team control um, for a long time to come. And yeah, I think you. I think that's the best upside play because I do wonder if R.C. is a guy that the more he's out there, maybe his back gets exposed a little more. Um, you know, I, I don't know. He's never really had consistent everyday playing time for months on end with the Braves. Last year was the closest he got. But I think that Grissom, the best case scenario would be that, yeah, he plays 150, 155 games because you don't really get better defensively, especially at this level, without the reps. And I think that's what it's going to take after playing a lot of second last year. He's just got to get the reps. I mean, I think it seems pretty clear based on what the team has said that Wash thinks he can do it long term. Um, And that's, you know, in terms of infield gurus, I mean, you're going to trust Wash, And so if that's the case, I think the best case for the Braves is that he really takes it and runs with it because then you have the upside to play for you.
2: Braves beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Justin Toscano joining us here on the waitforit.com hotline. You know, when Marcelo Zuna signed his extension with the Braves, that one of the points that Alex Anthopoulos brought up is, oh, yeah, he's going to play outfield in this, that, and the other. Are those days behind Marcelo Zuna? Is he purely a DH guy or would they possibly even trot him out in left field other than maybe, you know, an emergency where
3: everybody else got hurt? Yeah, no, that's the question I'm asking too. I. I lean more toward the latter is that he would be out there if it were an emergency situation, because they obviously had to play him out there last year and did for a considerable chunk of time at the beginning of the toward the beginning of the season. But I honestly think if all goes well for the Braves, he's got to be just primarily a DH and you hope he gives you something there. Um, He mentioned that he had some arm inflammation last year and did a lot to strengthen his arm over the off season, his arm, you know, members uh and hasn't been um, for a couple years I I think the Braves is you know it, if he's out there regularly in left field then then something went wrong and I don't mean to say that to be like to mean cynical you know I don't mean that to sound mm-hmm. cynical I just mean that I think they did a really good job stacking the roster with guys like Eli white and Sam Hilliard and Kevin pilar guys who are good defenders who can give you that defense and a lineup that should be stacked regardless uh, so that if, you know, Rosario or Ozuna aren't hitting, you can go with one of those defensive guys. And so that's just to say that that's probably, you know, the way that seems optimal is to get the great defense there because I think those days of everyday left field playing time, if you're going to be a contending team, I don't know that you can have Ozuna out there every day on a a daily basis. I know you can kind of, you know, sometimes with the quote unquote hide guys and left hope they don't get a play here and there but there still are a lot of important plays to be had in left field um and to be made and I I just think with the way the Braves set up the roster with and I didn't mention Jordan Luplo um but with him Eli White Sam Hilliard Kevin Pillar there's options out there um and great defensive options at that that I just don't really see a need for Marcelo Zuna uh to to be in left field so I would think that he's more of a of a DH now. Um, and I guess emergency situation could be out there, but you know, if all goes well, I, you know, I don't think he should be out there.
2: Last question for you, Justin, with just about a minute left, Brayden shoemaker is a guy that I've been intrigued by that, you know, maybe could be an infielder for the future. You think that maybe he gets a shot come September where maybe, you know, he gets a chance to come up with the big club in the fall of this particular season.
3: Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think he's, I think honestly, he's an injury away. He's probably, I don't know that he's lost. I mean, just looking at the situation from the outside, like I don't know that the injury, he, he's in a tough spot because the injury last year that he suffered, the torn PCL came that same, you know, within the same few days that the Braves eventually called up Von Grissom because they needed an infielder. I, you would assume that m- would have been Braden Shumake. might've been Braden Shumake with more experience there. Um, and, you know, it was in AAA A. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he could, because I don't get the sense that, you know, I don't think he's lost any ground in the system. Like he's still one of those guys that has to stay ready. Um, is kind of a slick fielder can play good defense. Maybe, you know, if he develops a little, can give you a little something with the bat, But he seems like one of those guys, you know, those utility guys that you could call up, uh, you know, out of necessity.
2: Follow him on the uh, AJC.com website where you can get all of your Braves news and notes, and you can follow him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Justin Toscano is the Braves beat writer for Atlanta Journal-Constitution and join me here on the waitfor.com hotline. Justin, as always, buddy, appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes uh, here tonight, and we'll talk again soon.
3: Yep, yep, sounds good. Thanks, John. You got it.
2: John Trucker. we'll be back. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, the Odyssey.com
3: app. Sports Radio, 92.9
2: The Game. Back with you, John Chuckery Show. Hanging out in the Kia Studios Monday night. 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers I'm a text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app, so you catch us on the go. Social media at 92.9 The Game. At JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. Uh, 1040 tonight. We'll take a look at the um, Jake the Snake Roberts A&E biography in the latest series of the uh, WWE biographies. And then... uh, We'll talk about the uh, mankind versus Undertaker uh, rivalry. I got a lot of things to say on both of those uh, things. So uh, as we're watching Brock Lesnar here up on uh, up on Raw um, with uh, MVP, so uh, and I guess maybe Bobby Lashley is going to be back with all of them. Uh, we'll get the, we'll get a uh, what's Bug and Chuckery coming up in a few minutes here, but um, you know, obviously, we're going to talk at the top of the hour about the. Atlanta Hawks, and we'll respond to the interview that Dukes and Bell did with him. So rather than play the interview, we will give you the answers and we'll respond to all of it. But there was something very interesting that Andy Larson had to say, and we'll play that at the top of the hour as well. His final answer to my question about the idea of control of player personnel and different things like that. So I thought it was a very interesting point that he made because we had obviously heard that, along with being the next head coach, the 15th head coach for the Atlanta Hawks, is that there was a definite chance that they could give him the title of President of Basketball Operations, which is the title Mike Budenholzer had, right? He had that title as well. And if he was going to have that title, then that pretty – and by the way, Travis Schlenk had the same title – that pretty much meant that he would have control over personnel and different things like that, which doesn't fit in with the narrative of Landry Fields right now. And again, I don't think Landry Fields has done a bad job or anything, but I think that there are more moving parts to this thing in play. There are more moving pieces that are going around the chessboard, you know, I I don't believe for one second that Landry Fields, on his own, said we got to hire a coach in five days. we got to pay him top-tier money. We've got to get him in here for the last 21 games, and and we've got to do this, this, and this, especially when it's probably going to be maybe either the last hire or certainly at this point the most important hire that he's going to make. And when you look at it from that standpoint, because if this hire doesn't work out, no matter whose fault that it is, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the future of Landry Fields is. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way or anything like that, but I just think it's the reality of Tony Ressler. I think it's the reality of, I don't think Tony Ressler is going to give somebody in their organization, um, if it doesn't succeed in their organization, I don't think he's going to give somebody as long. I don't care if it's a coach, if it's a front office guy, a general manager. I don't think that they're going to get, the next person is going to get as long of a stead with it because there is so much money that is tied up into this team. DeAndre Hunter's contract is massive. He's 23 average annual value. John Collins is $25 million. Clint Capella is $21 million. Trey Young is $43 or $44 million. There's a lot of money tied up in this team. And again, we've talked about the idea of it's going to be almost impossible to avoid the luxury tax unless you start cutting your roster. And if they're not going to be good and they're not going to take these big step forward, there's no need in the world of Tony Wrestler to get into the luxury tax. He's not willy-nilly going to get into it. By the way, we saw an owner a few years ago with Brooklyn, the Russian billionaire Prokhorov. You know, they were going, in, they were going into the luxury tax with, um, oh, God, who was the guy? Uh, Damari Carroll and guys like that and they were going in it for multiple years to where it, was, it wasn't it was worth operating the team, and eventually he ended up selling the team. Now, I'm not saying that that's happening with Tony Wrestler. It's just it becomes punitive when you get into multiple years of the luxury tax, and it's hard to build a championship-caliber team without getting in the luxury tax, but you're not going to get in the luxury tax if you're not kind of cusping on that championship caliber. It's one thing for the Warriors to be in the luxury tax and spend a whole bunch of money because they're in the the mix for the NBA championship every other year. It's another thing if you're the Atlanta Hawks. It's another thing if you're the Charlotte Hornets to get into all of that. It just doesn't benefit you as much. So we'll see what happens, but we'll uh, respond to what uh, Quinn Snyder had to say in his interview with Dukes and Bell coming up at the top of the hour. First, though, before we get to anything like that, let's get to What's Buggin' Chuckery.
0: Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> like, that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for What's Bugging Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. You know,
2: we talked about this guy last week, but Alabama's basketball coach, Nate Oates, can I say he might be the single most brain-dead individual walking around the face of the earth. More than me, even with my stroke and zapping my brain and everything else, he might be the most brain-dead human being on the face of the earth. Okay? He has, right now, in Brandon Miller, the single most scrutinized player in the entire sport, There isn't a single solitary person in the collegiate basketball world that is looked at more than Brandon Miller. And on Saturday in their game against Arkansas, you got the camera shot where the kid was patting him down like he was frisking him, okay? Here's what Nate Oates had to say. Oh, I don't watch your introductions. I'm not involved with them. I'm drawing up plays during that time. Regardless, it's not appropriate. It's been addressed, and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again for the remainder of this year. Then why did it take all of this happening again? This is, this is a guy who literally is brain dead. Oh, well, I'm not watching anything. Then put somebody to watch him. You have the most scrutinized guy in your entire sport. There isn't a single player or coach or anybody involved more heavily scrutinized than what this kid is. And you have to cross every T and dot every I on every single thing that he does. Whether it's the way he ties his shoes, whether it's the uniform, whether it's wherever he goes to the bathroom, whatever. You have to watch everything. And the fact that you're so oblivious to everything that goes on. When you have a kid that right now is being looked at as every media outlet in the country is watching for him to stub his toe. Every single person covering college basketball is begging for a reason to stub his toe. And what does he do? He goes out there and he gets a pat down. And they've done it for games this season. But now that, you know, again, it may not have been a big deal before all of this went down. Now it's a big deal. Because now you're feeding fuel to the fire. Now your head coach has to sit up on stage and talk about pregame introductions because he's a nimwit. He's a nimrod, a nitwit. Because he's brain dead. Meanwhile, your coach is answering questions about pregame rituals instead of watching everything that's going on or putting somebody to watch everything, especially when you know that this kid has got the microscope on him. And you feed fuel to the fire about why he shouldn't be playing, that he's tone deaf, that he's brain dead. You feed into all of that. Instead of dotting your I's and crossing your T's and making sure everything that he's the most upstanding citizen in the history of planet Earth. No, instead, your, ans- your coach is on stage after a game answering questions in his post-game press conference about how can you be this brain dead? How can you be this out of touch? How can you not have any sense of what's going on with all of this. And you wonder why Nate Oates is in the position that he's in. I'm telling you, if he stubs his toe enough times, either he's going to have to sit Brandon Miller or Nate Oates is going to step down. Because every time that they turn around, it's always something else and they are fighting, scratching, clawing to just get themselves through the regular season, through the SEC tournament, and into the NCAA tournament. Well, they'll be one of the favorites to win the national title. They will certainly be a favorite. Maybe they'll be the number one overall seed. Maybe that'll be Houston. Whatever it's going to be, But they are certainly in the mix for somebody who can win a national title. And here's Nate Oates, as brain-dead as you can be, just going out there and not having any wherewithal and understanding about the situation that this team and this player and he himself is in. Maybe he just doesn't think he can be fired. Maybe he doesn't think that Brandon Miller can have anything happen to him. But if you keep pushing and you keep poking, somebody's going to be left in a position to not have a choice, and they're going to have to react. And that may be way above his pay grade when that happens. And that's what's bugging Chuck. Reed. All right, coming up, we will react to the uh, Quinn Snyder interview with Dukes and Bell. Chuck, Reed hanging out with you in the Kia studios. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com, app.